This is Radiance Tape number JD-150, a message by Jim Durkin entitled, Missing the Mark. I want you to understand something about the eldership, because there's a work that as elders we are committed in God to do, and more than committed, we are commanded of God to do it, and if we do not do it, then I tell you, I would not want to stand before God in that day of judgment. I would know I would be saved if I had repented of my evil doings by not doing what I've been told to do. If I did not repent, I'm not sure at all I would be there. But if I were to stand there having failed in my duty to the congregation of people, for whatever reason I would fail. See, the Bible makes a clear thing. It says, I set you to be a watchman in Israel. Now, if you warn the wicked to turn from their sin, then you will be free from their blood, though they will perish in their sin. But if you do not warn the wicked to turn from their sin, then they will perish in their sin, but their blood will I require at your hand. Now, I don't know which would be the more terrible. For a person just to perish in sin, which is horrible beyond thought, to perish, to be in hell forever, but I think the punishment of a man that was called to be a watchman to the church of God and did not warn the wicked to turn and then had to stand before God not only for the wickedness of his own heart but also the blood of others on him. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, I would not want to be in that place. And I've charged the elders on different occasions to be careful how they walk toward the flock of God. I thoroughly believe those elders in Corinth, if Paul had not gotten to them, and I don't know if they all repented or not, I tell you, I think I would have rather been a murderer, I would have rather been a liar, I would have rather been anything on the face of the earth than to take the inheritance of God with all of their weaknesses and aims, this weight of the flesh moves us unless we take strong action against it but to deliberately allow the people to drift into sin without speaking any word against it, to warn them and pull them back from that thing. I would not want to be where those Corinthian elders were. So there is a scripture here, which I charge the elders with again, and I speak to everyone here. 17th verse of the 20th chapter of Acts, which you just read to it so you won't have to spend time looking for it. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, did not shrink from, because some of the things that are profitable are not easy to declare. In other words, it's good if you receive it, but it's painful to speak it, because people do not wish to hear it, and there's a special warning that in the last days people will not hear it. They will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and the Bible says they will be turned away from the truth and turned unto fables, myths. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God, now that means an absolute turning away from the ways of the world and sin and a total turning toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, 
bound in the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there, except that he knows he must go. Bonds and afflictions he knew, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Now notice this statement that he's making, this total dedication to God, which is the dedication that I administer to you time and again, is essential. Paul said, I know that I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what shall await me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies in every city that bonds and afflictions abide me. And he went on from there to final death. But he did not shrink back from going because his life was given to Jesus wholly and completely. See, we do not hold our lives dear. That is the Christian point of view. We do not hold our lives dear. They are not the ultimate thing of existence. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry, elders take note, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day. Now this is that hearkening back to Ezekiel where I said the watchman was set there to warn. Now therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Very careful that he stands before God without that blood on his hands. Now the elders have a special charge to warn the people of God. But I charge you this day that you have a charge, that you are your brother's keeper. And if you know of something that your brothers or your sisters are doing that will destroy them, and you keep silent about it, then I testify to you before God, I would not want to be in your shoes on that day either. Now, brothers and sisters, I fear God. I fear, and when the scripture said it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, I believe it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God with sin in our lives. Therefore, I'm careful to make sure my sins are repented of, and repent means turn away from. I search my heart until there is remorse and godly sorrow, that I will, by the grace of God, do these things no more. And I testify to you to have the same attitude. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard. Now the warning to the elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now why? I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. So you see that this charge we have is not a light thing. I have maintained in my own heart that I am not a hireling. I'm not here because somebody gives me money. I gladly go out and work with my own hands anytime and earn my own way. 
And if I receive any money at all, it's for one purpose, that I may be free to see and work with more people and do the work of God. But it will not be a hireling. And by the grace of God, may no elder ever be a hireling. And may you never have it in your heart attitude that you, by the giving of your tithes and offerings, which are your just due before God, that you're hiring elders. God forbid. The Bible says when the hireling seeth the wolf coming, he flees, because he is a hireling and has no heart for the sheep. I have a heart for the sheep. I care for you. And I tell you something, much would I rather not say some things that I have to say from time to time. But I'm no hireling by the grace of God. I love you, and I want you to stand before God with me someday. And I want you to stand there tall. I want you to stand there unashamed. I want you to stand there holy and without blame before him in love. That's what this book is aiming at. That's what you were chosen before the foundation of the world to do. And I'm going to tell you, sin is your enemy, and Satan is your enemy, and this world is your enemy. And that's why you have to stay filled with the Spirit of God. Stay filled with the knowledge of this book, and walk according to this book. Now, I want to speak this morning on the subject of sin, because sin has raised its head in an ugly way in this congregation. Thank God the people that were involved have begun the process of cleansing themselves of that sin. Repentance is becoming a real thing, and the horror of sin, by the grace of God, I pray, seizes and takes hold upon each one of us. The sin is a horrible thing. Now, I want you to follow with me now in your Bibles, if you will, because I think this will be beneficial to you. There is a Greek word, did not take the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives some different ideas about sin, and we could expand on that sometime, but the New Testament is sufficiently broad to make it clear what we're speaking about here today. There is a Greek word, hamartano. It means to miss the mark and so not share the prize. There's something out here that God has for you to give to you. He desires to give you eternal life. He desires to give to you a place in heaven. He desires that you will have a reward that will endure forever. He desires that you will hear the words from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. That's God's aim for us. He desires that we shall have a place in the Father's house forever. That's God's aim for us. But in order to get there, we must love the Lord and follow in his ways. The Bible warns us that there are things that will hinder us, and there are other things that will destroy our reward, and some things that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. And so God puts those terrible warnings out and tells us as Christian people that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, that there's no place in the kingdom of God for those who are gluttons and drunkards and whoremongers and adulterers and liars and 
And he mentions in the book of Revelation, without are whoremongers, pimps, sellers of flesh, adulterers and fornicators, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, as opposed to the person who has forsaken those things and followed hard after God. Hamartano. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6.18. We will read a verse from there. To miss the mark. Remember that this is the meaning. You shoot the arrow of life, and instead of striking the target where you should be aiming, you end up over here someplace, and so there is no prize. Flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, added word here. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now the aim of God on this earth for us, the target of God, is that we are to be moral persons. That's the target. And we are to take the arrow of life and carefully aim at that target and make sure we strike that bullseye. Nothing short of that. Now if that is not the aim, then believe me, no one will ever hit the target of life by not taking aim. That has to be, say, I aim at being a moral man, and nothing short of that is of God. Hamartano, to miss the mark and so miss the prize. I would like you to turn with me to 1 John 3, 6, 8. Same word used differently, or a different application of it. 1 John 3, 6 and 8. No one who abides in him sins. And no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now that means to deliberately aim differently than the target. In other words, if a man's aim of life says, I do not aim at being a godly man, but I think I can aim at something else. So you can think that only because you don't know him. Because if you know him, you know one thing about him. He is a holy God. And he calls out of us, he said, if we know him, we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, flesh and spirit, inner and outer, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Some say, oh, don't preach about the fear of God. Have to preach about the fear of God. Why do we have to preach about the fear of God? Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. It's the thing that will keep you safe. It's the thing that will keep your arrow aimed again at the purpose of God, the vision of God, the direction of God, the command of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If the man who does not love me does not keep my commandments, and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father's. So I love Jesus. I just don't. It's impossible. 
Impossible. The Word is the aim of life, which indicates that the love of God is working in us. Now, anything other than that, he says, is missing the mark, and everything is lost. Now, thank God, when we sin, and that can happen, we do have a remedy. But the remedy is not, oh, well, it's not too bad. The remedy is a very clear remedy. And that remedy must be carried out, or there's no healing of this disease which is unto death in every case. It's like a man is sick, some cancer. You look at that man, his body is laying there, looks very normal, but you've discovered a cancer. Now you look at his body and it's unscarred. doctor says, what a shame to scar that body. What a shame to cut into that, because we can never just take out the cancer. Other good flesh must also come out with that cancer. Being a sympathetic man, I do not think I will scar that body. I do not think I will take out that cancer for fear I take other flesh. I do not think I will because I will hurt this person. What kind of a doctor would that be? You would say that man ought to have his license taken away from him, get him out of the profession. He has just sentenced that man to death because he wants a nice-looking church or body. But I'll tell you, the surgeon that will be thanked later on is the one that says we must cut into that and get that cancer or he will die. Now, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, aims at that target always, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? Sin. And to give us a desire to say, God in heaven, always bring my arm back around to that target and let me keep my eye directly on it and let me move directly toward it and let me aim at that prize and never let me turn from the left hand or the right hand. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, keep your eyes straight ahead. That's why I minister purpose and vision. Get your heart off purpose and vision. Get your heart off that idea living for the glory of God and you naturally sink to the lowest possible level, which is living for us. And when that becomes your aim, you are exactly 180 degrees reversed from that target, and you're shooting off here at some other. There's nothing out there but ruin. Now look at Hebrews 3.13. Same word again. But encourage one another... Day after day, as long as it is still called today, in other words, a day coming where there will be no more todays. No more todays. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us awake out of our sleep. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, the word is hardened by. See, when we come to Christ, you have a very tender conscience. 
Someone says, that's sin. Oh, God. See? And so tender is that conscience that we may even be stricken by someone calling something sin, which in fact is no sin at all. I said there were churches I attended long ago that their idea was that persons should be dressed, they should have long sleeves and high collars, and it's right, we should be chastely and modestly dressed, but there's no standard could be set like, this is what chaste and modest dress is. I can tell you something. Never saw a woman yet that didn't know when she wasn't chastely and modestly dressed. And when she didn't know she was dressing for some other reason altogether. And the same thing is true of men today. Going around, pulling off their shirts every opportunity they get. Slipping their pants down so their belly buttons show and part of their abdomen pulling their pants down so their butt. That's not modest dressing. That's dressing for a reason other than. A modest man dresses in a certain way and a modest woman dresses in a certain way. And everything else is designed to do something else. Hebrews 3.13 But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called a day, lest any one of you be hardened now, we want the conscience to become strong where it can distinguish between good and evil and not blown about by everybody's idea of sin, but some things the Word of God makes very clear are sin. And there is never ever any equivocation about it. That is sin. And it says, don't do it, and anyone who does it will have no part in the kingdom of God or his Christ. But it says, if you do sin, you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, so you can take something that is sin, clearly, completely exposed by the Word of God, and you say, that's no sin. So the Bible speaks in the book of Proverbs, it says, the man who robs his father and mother and says it is no transgression, see, because my father and mother. I don't have anything wrong, I'm part of the household. Said he is the companion of a destroyer. But in his mind, I've done no wrong. It's all right. The deceitfulness of sin, it hardens the heart. It blinds the eyes. It confuses the mind. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. See, believing not is a sin. You believe not, it confuses you. It blinds you. A cloud drifts over your mind, darkness over your eyes. Your soul becomes dull. Your ears become dull. And the end of it is something that you could not have borne to think about a year before. You can say, I've done no wrong. It's all right. Keep that conscience tender. Let it be strong. Strong as to what sin is. Very tender toward the Spirit of God. That when he says, stop, you amen, Lord. Now see, each of these are a use of that single word. Hardened by the deceitfulness of constantly missing the mark. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in missing the mark, sin? Deliberately aiming at another goal than the one God's given us, that grace might increase. 
In other words, I sin, but look at this, grace abounds. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Forbid! How shall we who died to sin in Christ live in it still? It's almost like that. Believable! Now there's another word. Paraptoma means a side slip. Same idea, see? Deliberately taking another aim, now a side slip going down the road and taking off into some uncharted territory. God has not charted out. Means lapse or deviation, either one. Just simply, oh well, I'll get careless. Drop off the road without looking. Ever do that sometime in driving? Better keep your mind on what you're doing. In driving, just oh, the next thing you're wandering across the road like this or stop sign on you and go right through that stop sign. Well, sometimes you go through the stop sign and nothing happens, thank God. And sometimes you go through the stop sign and you kill somebody, or you get killed, or broken up. Say, but I just, my mind lapsed for a minute. Don't let your mind lapse in regard to sin. But the other one means a deviation. I say, I should be going this way, think I'll go this way. I know I should be aiming at that target, think I'll aim over here. Same principle, paraptoma. James 5:16. I want you to read the use of that word. Therefore, confess your sins. Use of this word is like this, an unintentional error or a willful transgression, either one. It says, well, just an unintentional error, so I don't have to confess that. God says, not so. The man who covers his sin, the Bible says, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them shall find mercy enough. Different principle here, but I, we deal with the remedy of sin when we come to it. Therefore, confess your sins, paraptoma, your deviations. Confess your sins one to another. They let this for all time get it out of your head that you sin against God and against man, but you just confess to God quietly, and that's all there is to it. There is no prosperity that will ever come. That's why you hear me confess even now the sins of my past. See? Not any more than I'm under the guilt of it. But to help others, to not fall into those same things, you see me standing here restored. Well, I want to tell you the price of my restoration was hell on earth for years. Now, you keep yourself pure. Maybe you could stand up to what I stood up to. Maybe you can't. I know a lot of people who never recovered themselves out of the snare of the devil. They fell into it, and they were gone forever. And they never were restored. Confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. You need to be healed. It's a sickness. The Bible describes it in the Old Testament as the type of it is leprosy. Something that starts with a little thing, spreads through the body, is called a living death. That's why Jesus spoke in the New Testament to a church. He said, I know you, you have a name that you live, but you are dead. You're filled with leprosy. That's a heavy thing you say. Oh, we're alive. We name the name of Christ. Said you are dead. Except you repent. Except you turn to me with all your heart. There is no deliverance. That's the meaning of sin. Now there's another meaning, a word in the New Testament. Transgression means to go contrary to, to violate a command. I'd like you to turn to Acts 125. We see this in operation. This is why I tell people, study the Word of God. 
It will keep you safe. Grasp it. Know it. Anytime you hear someone giving a Bible study you think is a teacher, I encourage many of you to come to the Monday night Bible studies being taught by good teachers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.25, and they're teaching on great truths of the Bible, which includes sin and repentance and salvation and redemption and all the wonderful things that make us able to call ourselves Christians. He's speaking here about Judas. Read verse 23, they put forward two men, Joseph and another called Matthias. 24, when they prayed, they said, Lord, thou knowest the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two thou hast chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside, transgressed, Barabino, transgressed, turned aside to go to his own place, hell. Here's what he had. The aim, Judas, I make you my apostle if you will follow me. Judas, if you follow me, I will. But the Bible says Judas, instead of aiming for that, turned aside and aimed for 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. For the little glory that he got from the priests who were perishing and dead men already. Good boy, Judas, you did the right thing. Yes, you did. You caused yourself to perish and be an anathema and a name that will be preached forever. In the end of it, the Bible says Judas went and hanged himself. Fell down on the rocks and his bowels gushed out. Sin, parabeno, transgression, to turn aside from. Parabasis, Hebrews 2, 2. Read verse 1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every turning aside transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect? Neglect is the word. See, it isn't like, I deny God, I deny the Bible, I deny Christ. No, no, I'm not talking about that. It's talking about, here's the aim. It isn't talking about saying, I deny God. It's just simply saying, transgress, or neglect, deviate, or, well, I have a lapse here. It says, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. That's the word. See, am I preaching anything but the word? No, that's the word. Now, I tell you, you can go to some church who will pick some little thing out over here in this, or they won't pick anything out and say, praise God. We know our great loving God knows we're just his kids, and hallelujah, we have our trouble. It's all right, folks, you're going to be saved anyhow because Jesus loves you and he's a good... I read the words of Jesus. Either he spoke the truth or his apostles spoke the truth, or they're all a bunch of liars that say one thing and do something else. No, I believe this word is true, and preachers who tell people such things, they are the liars. And the sad part is that the blind lead the blind, they'll all fall in the ditch. My desire to keep you safe. My desire to get you to heaven. I believe this book, and I believe the God who wrote the book, and I believe sin is a deadly enemy of every Christian. And I believe that Jesus Christ came to deliver us from sin. That's what he came for. Now, anomia, another word, which I had time to catch all these. 
Turn to 1 John 3, 4. It means illegality, violation of law, wickedness. And the words used are transgress, transgression, transgression of the law, and unrighteousness. 1 John 3, 4. And I've read you 6 and 8. I want to give you this one. It's a different word. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. Now, you have a pretty good description of it, don't you? Sin is saying, I know what God says, but I'm going to do what I say. That's sin. That's its ultimate form. I know you say this, God, but I say, and therefore I will do this. God forbid that we should be in that mentality. I tell you this morning that God alone can define proper behavior and not man. If God says something is sin, no amount of rationalization, no amount of reasoning, no amount of clever arguing will change the fact one iota. God says this is right behavior because I, God, perfect, I, God, infinite in love, I, God, who have created you, know you how you are made and know how you should walk and know what is right and know how to relate to me, know what is correct. This is the way. Walk in it. Only God can define that. Not man. Not Moses. Moses couldn't define it. John the Baptist can't define it. Paul the Apostle can't define it. All they can do is receive a revelation from God as to what it is. God, we don't know how to walk. Reveal to us. This is the way. Walk in it. It has to come by revelation. Only God can define it. And for man to sit there and reason, well, I know God says this, but I think I will. Or I know God says this the road, but I think I will. Or I know that this is what I'm called to do, but I think I will go this way. All that is sin. Because only God, and he's the only one you should serve and hear and listen to and follow, because I'm going to tell you he's the only one that really cares for you. The only one, you think the devil cares for you? You think on that day... All the companions in sin you can ever find on the face of this earth. All of them standing there and holding your hand, putting their arm around you, saying, that's right, you're doing the right thing, man. You show them. You go out there. That's right. I see it. No, that's a real good thing you're doing. You wait till they stand there on that day of judgment and see how many stand there. Oh, that's the right thing. Everyone's going to be saying, it isn't me, Lord. He did it. He did it. This one got me into it. That one did it. This one. No friends there. I'll tell you who the friends are. Those that have the courage to stand up and say, this is sin. Quit it. Lest you perish. See, if you hear, oh, say, oh you, you're judging me. Oh, you, you really, that's not right. No. How blessed it is when out of many that sin, you find some wise men and women that when they're confronted like David, David's sin, grievous sin. I'll talk about it a little bit later. God said to him, what you have done, he said, will be spoken of. He said, you did it secret. But he said, I'll make it known everywhere. He has made it known everywhere. This Bible has gone all over the world, generation after generation. And that man dead several thousand years. People are still saying, and David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Sin is not a light thing. Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a story. David rose up in indignation and said, the man that had done this is worthy of death. Let him be killed. And Nathan said, you're the man. Now, thank God, David said, I have sinned. Oh, God, purge me. See, if he had not done that, I tell you, you'd have heard no more about David the king except some little word at the end 
Either David slept with his fathers or God slew him or there was a war and he perished like Saul. But thank God he repented. As some, I am happy to say, have repented here. But I want this repentance to be a deep thing and I want fear to be in your hearts about sin and I want a godly forgiveness of us when you are assured that these brothers and sisters have repented before you the best they know how. And then I want you to encourage them and strengthen them, taking heed to yourselves lest you also be tempted. Like I have to. I don't stand here arrogantly and say, you did this, but I didn't do that. God forbid, no Pharisees. But we have to speak and say, this sin. But I take heed to myself lest I also be tempted. But nevertheless, you must deal with sin in this proper way. God alone. You want to know what sin is? You read the Bible. You want to know how to get in sin? You talk to people about what they think you can do. Just let them tell you. I understand somebody said to one of our people who has just committed sin, said, that's terrible that anyone is asking you to confess a thing like that. It's only between you and God. Oh, well, that's not what the Bible says. He that confesses and forsakes these things shall find mercy. If you sin, confess your sins one to another. And pray one for another. You know what you need to be healed? You need the prayers of your brothers, sisters, to come around you and say, we pray for you that you be healed. That's what you need. You can't do it. You sin publicly, repent privately. No scripture like that in the Bible. The origination and source of sin in us. Now, well, the devil made me do it. Or the devil tempted me, and that's why I did it. Turn with me, please, to James 1. It is not because the devil tempts us. Now, the Bible tells us why we sin. And also tells a little bit about the consequences of sin. James 1, verse... 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, testing, temptation, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. In other words, he goes through and he comes out the other side, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Another way of saying those who keep the commands of the Lord. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone himself. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by, look at it carefully, his own lust. That's why I tell people, don't blame anybody else for your sin. Don't blame anyone else for wherever you are. You are someplace, say, I am to blame for that. I say, if another person tempted you, he's got a problem, he'll answer to God. But he tempting you or the devil tempting you, and God does not tempt you, but the devil does, men do, the world does. But that's not why we sin. We sin, the Bible says, making the point clear. We sin when we are carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when sin is conceived, so you keep letting that conceive. When sin is conceived, instead of letting it be washed away by the blood, instead of immediately coming to an elder, or an elder going to another elder, and saying, something's working in me that isn't good, pray for me. I've got a wrong attitude toward that brother or sister. I feel like I've got a pressure on me, and I feel like I want to lie my way out of it. I've got an eye for that woman over there, and it's wrong. Pray for me. Oh, that's deliverance. Well, you don't get deliverance. You just let that thing sit there and just keep working. And it says, lust, when it had conceived, brings forth sin or gives birth to sin. He's using the same principle here of a woman becoming pregnant, and then long period of growth of that thing, and then birth. 
of it. And sin, when it is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived. It brings forth death. Consequences of sin. I listed some things. Pain, sorrow, remorse, death. All of those are the consequences of sin. I've listed here scriptures that ought to be looked at. I'd like you to turn with me to Second Samuel 12. These things will come deep in your own heart. They will defend you over the years and protect you. Tell you long after I'm gone. They will be the things that you will pass on to your children and protect them. They will protect you long after these young elders, which are here now, are gone. If the Lord tarries, your families will still be safe if you teach these things. I will read from verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city this after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had great many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. Would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. And was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who appointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. In other words, where's your gratitude now, murderer? I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. I want you to notice here David receives forgiveness but notice the pronouncement. From that day on, God says, the sword will never depart from your house. And the things that I would have added to you will never be added to you. It's all finished at this point. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. One of his sons slew his other son after that son had committed adultery with one of the daughters of David. Murdered that whole household. Then that son went on to lead a rebellion against David and drove David into the wilderness. David had to get the report before it was all finished that Joab slew that son. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom, would God I had died in thy place. You know why he's saying that? Because he knew what made it happen. His own sin. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. 
I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you will surely die. Now, I want to tell you something. I think if a man or a woman could look a little bit down the line at the consequences of sin and believe it, and I tell you before God, holiness would be our goal. We'd pull that arrow back and say, I'm going to aim at that target only. And I'm going to keep my eyes straight on toward the goal. And I'm going to live for the glory of God. And I'm going to saturate myself with this book. And I'm going to worship God. And I'm going to stay in the hollow of his hand. And I'm going to delight myself in the law of the Lord. Because the consequences of sin is ruin. Pain, sorrow. Matthew 27, 4 is a scripture you should read. Psalm 51, David's great repentance before God. Proverbs 14, 34. Not only does it concern itself with the individual, but nations. It says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Whole nations, whole nations. With only a few Christians sprinkled because they have stopped the gospel from going in there. The vast reaches of China, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Russia, vast segments of Europe, Africa, Asia, and the United States. Oh, we're filled with Christians here. Yes, and God will take care of the Christians like he took care of Lot. Although Lot wasn't much of an example of a Christian. But for his day, the Bible said he had a righteous soul and God delivered him. Though he ended up in final ruin anyhow because he would not pull his arrow back. God only gave him another chance. The Bible says, though, God knows how to deliver the righteous. But the nation perished. Oh, Lord, keep our nation right so that we can always live here and be happy and have good things. I tell you before God, this nation will be turned into hell. That's the message that has to be preached so the people will repent. People say, oh, no, things are always going to go on as they were. This is what we believe. They need to hear this nation will be turned into hell except to repent. Jesus told a story about some people that power fell on a certain city. He said, you think they were sinners above all the people in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you, no, and except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's the word, perish. I fear God. I fear God. Who do we sin against? Psalm 51, 4, Luke 15, 18, and 19 makes it clear we certainly sin against God. The prodigal son came back, says when he came to his senses, he said, why do I sit here starving to death when my father's servants have food enough and to spare? He said, I know what I will do. I will arise and go to my father and say, I am no more worthy to be called a son because I have sinned against heaven and before you. Always against God, because that's what sin is, the transgression of his law. He says, this is the way. I will do it a different way. This is the goal. I will choose this as my goal. This is the way. Walking in it, I will walk this way. But we also sin against man. 
1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 13, it says, When you sin against your brethren and wound their consciences. You think it would not be a sin against the brethren for me to deliberately deviate from the way of truth? When brothers and sisters look to me and say, Brother, you've told us to walk in your way. You've told us to practice the things that you practice. You've told us to shape our lives after an example that you have given us. And then for me to deviate from that path and turn out over here and make this the aim of my life and say, I'm no more aiming at the glory of God. I think that I would wound their consciences. And the Bible says, is this the love of God that you would destroy the work of Christ for our own pleasure? And what was he talking about? Eating meat sacrificed to idols. He said, I'll neither eat meat nor drink wine as long as the world stands if it makes my brother to be wounded or hurt. That's what he thought about sin. The seriousness of sin. I'll tell you how serious sin is. It put Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how serious it is. If you in your mind's eye can get a picture of him hanging on that cross with nails driven through his hands or wrists, blood draining away, if you can see the crown of thorns pushed down over his brow and his eyes matted with the blood that came from his head. If you can see the nails through his feet. If you can see the pain of the thirst as he pulls himself up to get air and then collapses again. If you can see the horror of those hours of living death. If you can see the agony when he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turned away from him in that moment while he felt the full weight, the bitterness of the pill of sin. If you can see him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat as it were great drops of blood as he had to take into himself the filth and sin of the world. As you can see that he had to go down into hell for three days and three nights. That'll tell you about the seriousness of sin, because one sin would have done that. Just one. And one sin did do it. Adam's sin. And when you look at it, it wasn't some, like, we, oh, it wasn't a big sin. He just partook of the fruit. There are no big sins and little sins. It's all the turning away and saying, this is my goal. Adam said, I know what the goal is, but I will choose this as my goal. And he partook of it. And with him, the whole human race fell into sin, and death passed on. Oh, man, death passed on. Not just Adam. Death passed on all men. Oh, there's a consequence of David's sin. Sin kept Moses out of the promised land. Sin made David's name a reproach that there never had to be. Sin destroyed Judas. Sin ruined Demas. He went back having loved this present world. Sin destroyed the nation of Israel time and again. Sin. Not a pleasant term or a pleasant word. What is the remedy for sin? Give it to you. First of all, the remedy for sin is repentance. Now, you know what repentance means? It means to, you're going this way, and it means to turn about, 
so that you are not going that way anymore. It means like Lot's wife that you have no longing for Sodom and Gomorrah. You're walking kind of this way, but you're, I wish I had this. Or like the children of Israel walking to the promised land, but saying, would God, we were back in Egypt where we had our leeks and our garlics. Moses said, thank God I'm out of that place because I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And I'd rather suffer reproach with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I believe the promise is God and I'm moving toward it. That's repentance. That I'm out of Egypt and thank God I'm out of Egypt and I'm moving toward God. That's repentance. And that's not to be repented of. Repentance and confession of sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, confess your faults one to another. Of course, confess them to God, primary, important. Setting the heart wholly on God. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven makes it clear. Man came to Jesus and said, what's the first and great commandment? What is the great commandment? Which do you think is the most important? Because he wanted him to say, thou shalt not steal. Oh, he say, you think thou shalt not steal is the most important? You don't think the most important is that you should keep the Sabbath of God? If he say, well, you should keep the Sabbath of God. So, oh, do you think that? You don't think the most important is you should have no other gods before me? So he wanted to argue with him. Jesus said to him, the first and most important commandment is you will love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and the second is like it, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And the man was silenced. One parting jest, who's my neighbor? Then he told him the story of the man who went down to Jericho and the Good Samaritan. He said after that they asked him no more questions. See, the first commandment, the great commandment, New Testament, Old Testament, love God with all your heart. It had nothing to do with that. Repent. Confess, set the heart wholly on God. Fourth principle, turn with me please to 2 Corinthians. 7th chapter, I read verses 8 to 12. Now this is after the man who had taken his father's wife, and they had put that wicked man out of the church. Later on he repented and came back and found a place of acceptance again. But it was after he had to be turned over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit could be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the repentance would come about. Taking care of those who were running up to the temple prostitutes, spending time up there. Taking care of those who got drunk in the communion service. Verses 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, Paul wrote him a letter, made him feel sorry. Told him they were a bunch of stinkers. Because he allowed these things to go on. I thank God some people are coming to me and saying, Well, brother, I, you know, I've been keeping quiet about this thing, but now I've got to tell you this is going on. Well, thank God. Then there's hope that this church will be safe. But you have some brothers and sisters courageous enough to say, Oh, they come and say, uh, uh, Well, I, uh, it's an anonymous tip. So-and-so. I don't want any anonymous tips. I want some strong brothers and sisters to rise up and say, Jim Durkin, I know that this is going on and deal with it. I'll deal with it. The elders will deal with it. And I tell you something, you hold your peace when you know of something that's destroying another soul? Not so good for you, my brother's keeper. Not so good for you. Hey, for though I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. It's like I don't regret what I'm doing now. 
Though I did regret it, for I see the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. It would have been terrible then. He said, oh, wow, this guy really bummed me out and makes me feel bad. That would have been no good. Paul said, that would have no value to you, whatever. But he said, I thank God that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance and you did something about it. You turned away from it. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Paul would have had to come and deal with that. Put them out of the church and do a wholesale cleanup job. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold what earnestness in this very thing this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of the wrong. In everything you have demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. In other words, if you clean yourself up from sin, then there's hope. If you do not, only ruin. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender. Now you need to hear that. So you say, oh, this is all for the sake of this person. It is not. There's a far higher order to be served here. The offender is the offender. They're the guilty party. The same thing as a murderer standing up before the judge say, oh, this is here for your sake so that we can't. It's not. There's a far higher cause to be served. Yes, in a lesser sense, it's also for the offender that they be rectified and straightened around with a far higher cause. That society be safe. That God's law be vindicated. That's the highest law. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf, many times it has been when sin has been committed and the minister has stood up against it, some members of the congregation say, oh, how terrible that this person is being persecuted like this. Persecuted, nothing. That person has to be set free, and they want to be set free. They're crying out to be set free. Let them be set free. They say to them, that's right, brother, sister, you have sinned. You make sure you clean it up and do right. And we're with you to help you. We'll stand with you. We'll pray with you. We'll work with you. We'll build with you. But make sure you clean it up in the right way. Now, Paul made it clear that their earnestness on his behalf, in other words, what he was speaking was right. They had not been doing what was right. And now he said, you clean this matter up. Remember, First Corinthians, you read the chapter. He said, put that wicked person out from among you. He said, this sin has not even once been named among the Gentiles. And now he said, you're puffed up. You've done nothing. Now do it, he said. Now they did do it. And he said, I'm glad we're together in that area. Because that, he would have had to take a different... For this reason, we have been comforted. For this reason, we have been comforted. Allowing the horror of sin to possess us. The prophets of Israel spoke of sin as a horrible thing. Then trusting ourselves completely to God, his Christ, his Holy Spirit, his word. There is no other way. Say, Lord Jesus... Your mercy, I beseech you, cleanse me. Wash me in the blood. Purge me with hyssop. Fill me with your spirit. Take not the joy of it. Read the 51st Psalm. Marvelous Psalm. David cries out in the hour of sin that, Oh, God, purge me. Don't take your spirit from me. Don't take the joy of your salvation away from me. Return to me, O oh God, and give me. That's the kind of prayer that brings about deliverance. It isn't like... Oh, well, I'm going to try to do better now. No, it's, oh, God, I sinned. I give you this to know for sure, that Jesus Christ alone is the way, and every other way is a way that leads to death. 
Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Death. I ask you now to bow your head with me in a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to make a point of understanding in each one of our hearts that sin is a terrible thing. Lord, you said they who transgress the law praise the wicked, but they who keep the law, happy is that man. You said they that trust in the Lord shall be safe, but he that trusts in his heart is a fool. God, all that sin trust in their own hearts instead of trusting in the Lord and the Word. Help us, Almighty God, to trust in your Word. Help us, Almighty God, to walk in your ways and to not turn from it to the left hand or the right hand, but to finish out what you've caused us to do in this life. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' precious name. I'd like you all to stand with me, please. Sing that chorus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Father, I ask you to keep this congregation of people, keep them in the hollow of your hand, but Lord, I also pray that their prayer and the aim of their heart and the desire of their heart is to stay in the hollow of your hand, that they do not wish to be any other place, Lord, no self-willed living, no self-directed living but all of it according to your word and your spirit. All of it, Lord, following that obedience to the elders which are set here for their safekeeping. Keep us all safe, Lord. Grant that to us, precious Father. And we give you the praise and the glory. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Lord bless you now.